1: You ever have one of those scenarios where you believe nobody else has experienced what you're experiencing? Nobody understands? Well, somebody does. We'll talk about him next. Nobody understands. Nobody gets it. Nobody's gone through what I've gone through. You found yourself uttering those words, believing or thinking those words? Well, somebody has, somebody does understand. It's Jesus. And no one will understand like him. He's got a depth of understanding that defies any of our comprehension about how deep his love and his understanding really goes. And that's what we're looking at here in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. To bring it out to us, here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of
2: Truth For Today. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 4. I hear Ryan, you guys had a camp meeting with him last week, so glad for that. Come on out to this Wednesday night study. Whether you've signed up or not, we'll let you in, and uh, we'll try to be a little rough on you. Uh, You may not have the syllabus and the book, but... Uh, surely somebody will share with you. Get a taste of what it is to uh, study this great salvation. Anybody getting anything out of it so far? Yeah, I mean, uh, the riches of it. I just, I love the fact I'm hearing people talk about their great salvation. And we always, well, I'm saved. I don't know what from, and I don't know what all it's about, but I'm saved. Well, it sure helps when you find out what you got in the inheritance. I haven't been there for the reading. I didn't go in for the lawyer to tell me everything, but I I hear I got an inheritance. We're wanting you to find out what you got. And that's all we're doing is undoing the package. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 4. Let me just bring you up what he's saying. And today I'm going to consider no one understands like Jesus. Anybody remember that John Peterson song? Yeah. No one understands like Jesus, he's a friend beyond compare. Meet him at the throne of mercy, he is waiting for you there. No one understands like Jesus, when the days are dark and grim, no one is so near, so dear as Jesus, cast your every care on him. Well, what he's done in the book, he's been telling us Christ is superior to the prophets, superior to angels superior to Moses. But as he goes along in the book, he's given two warnings. The warnings of chapter 2, do not neglect so great a salvation. Chapter 3 verse 7 through 4:13, he gives another warning. Don't hold back in unbelief and forfeit God's rest. God offers a rest to his people, which means he's inviting us to step into his accomplishment. He finished creation and rested. He finished taking care of our sin problem in Christ and has rested. And he's inviting us to come and rest in that finished work of Christ. Now, he's going to pick up in 414 and run through chapter 10, about 15. So 4 through, he's going to now begin to describe what it's like to have a high priest up in the heavens, who represents us. And it's going to show you it's superior to the old covenant, superior to the Levitical priesthood, superior tabernacle. This is the true one. Superior blood, on and on, extolling the great ministry of Christ. We're going to look at three things out of this passage. Christ has become our representative before God. He represents his people before God. You got to get that. That's key point. First thing we'll look at. And then secondly, Christ sympathizes with us. He sympathizes with those he represents. And then thirdly, he promises us help. So he represents us. He sympathizes with us. And he promises to help us. Now, let's look at this passage. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, which is a term meaning he is deity. He shares the nature of God. Two exhortations. Let us hold fast our confession. That means keep holding on to the gospel You initially believed. Don't abandon it. You're being persecuted. You're being tempted to go back to Judaism. You're being tempted to give up this faith in Christ as Messiah. Don't go back. Keep holding on to the profession of faith you made in Jesus. Don't go back. Maybe you're being put out of your family. Maybe you're losing your business. It was not easy for them to take a stand for Christ. Just like it's not easy in northern Africa right now. And Syria. And Iran. And Iraq. And the Chinese for years. The underground church movement. It's not been easy in this world for most people to go public and own Christ above ground. They've paid a price for it. Uh, Our softness has led to our apostasy. Our softness leads to our Uh, worldliness and liberalism, but where faith has cost is the most vibrant kind of Christianity. So he's saying, don't go back. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me take you back to chapter 2, verse 16, where he mentions the high priestly ministry of Christ the first time. Pick it up in 2.16. For surely it is not angels that he helps. Angels have no one to represent them before God but themselves. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. That's what we're going to study this Wednesday night. In the service of God for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being Tempted. Let me, first of all, just say briefly what Leviticus, Exodus, I think about 28, describes the high priest. High priest. One priest gathered out of the Aaronic priesthood to represent the people of God once a year going into the Holy of Holies. Yom Kippur. Hebrew, Yom Day, Kippur. Day of covering, day of atonement. So, one day a year, 14th day of Nisan, this man would go in to the Holy of Holies. He went, there was the outer court, inner, and then when you went beyond the veil to where the Ark of the Covenant was, he had to go in there with an animal sacrifice, his blood, sprinkle it on top of the lid of the Ark, and if God accepted that blood... That it was innocent, it met all the specifications. God was saying, I extend mercy and forgiveness to the nation until next year, same time, same process. Now, when he went in there, in his wardrobe, it said he wore an ephod, and he had 12 stones that bore the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes that came out of Jacob. And he said, you are to wear this next to your heart. If you read the narrative in Exodus 28, wear these things. But he said several times, next to your heart, next to your heart. I want you to represent them to God. We need mercy. Who do you represent? Twelve tribes. This was a high. So the high priest did two things. He represented the people to God. And notice this. To approach God, the only way the people could have an approach to God is an innocent victim had to die. God was saying, you cannot approach me in the condition you're in without a substitute. Somebody's got to die for you to get access. And I'm only going to give you that once a year. And then when the high priest came out, He represented God to the people. God has accepted the sacrifice. And one of the living proofs of that is he didn't kill me. For my life was in jeopardy even going in there. But I represented you. God's accepted it. So I'm coming out to you. Now he's going to say in the book of Hebrews, Christ is a high priest, but he's not in the order of Aaron. He's not one that's going to offer animal blood. He offered his own blood. He has taken on this high priestly job of representing you before God the Father. I, I'm amazed at the very concept that when angels fell, when angels, angels could be tempted because one third of them rebelled. But they have no mediator, they have no representative, and they have no one to atone. Every angel that sinned is doomed forever, there's no atonement, no forgiveness, and nobody representing angels. But us, we all became sinners in Adam, represented, fell, and now God has appointed for every believer a high priest representative. By the way, the world doesn't have this high priest. Jesus said that in John 17, I pray for you. I do not pray for the world. The world has no high priest. Represent. You don't get the high priest until you accept the sacrifice. Then you get someone that represents you to God the Father. And if you looked at chapter 216 and this, let me just compile the things he says. He will help us like he doesn't help angels. He became like us, that he could represent us. He took on a full human nature. Uh, He said that as our representative, there's two things you can count on. Mercy and faithfulness. He is reliable to go to God, and he is merciful to those he represents. Where would you go if you needed help among human beings? Who would really represent you. Do you want someone to represent you that has never experienced what you experienced? I think of uh, sending a multimillionaire to the White House to be my representative, and I'm living uh, in the projects. You don't know anything about folks living in the projects. You don't know anything. You just bought your way into an office. You don't represent a poor boy. In law, in law, put me on trial in Mississippi and give a white lawyer. Why don't you give someone my color to represent me? Do you really feel what I feel? Do you really know what I know? If I was a woman, I'd want a woman lawyer maybe. Do you feel what it feels like to be abused. Well, we have a representative in the heavens, and he's there that has passed through the heavens, and because he's there representing his people, he is telling us, hold on to your confession. Don't, don't give it up. Then he goes on to say, uh, this high priest sympathizes with those that he represents, sympathizes. And he's going to develop this in chapter 5. We'll come back to it. And he said when he picked a high priest, he picked a man of like weakness so that he could understand the weakness of the people. So he was appointed, and uh, he could go in there. He had to bring a sacrifice for himself because he, too, was a sinner Now, in Christ's case, no sin, but he sympathizes with his people. Compassion. What's amazing about that term, he sympathizes. When you read the Old Testament, do you get the feeling of a sympathetic God? Do you feel sympathy uh, at the flood? Well, one man had favor. That was Noah. A lot of that, you don't always pick up a sympathetic God because even in Judaism, in elevating God's holiness and God's transcendence, that he's above us, uh, sometimes he's always going to get us. We're always having to do something to get his favor, even though you've got lamentations that says, every morning he shows mercy. Isn't God full of love, but there's sin their idolatry, their waywardness was always bringing out the side of God that he, he didn't want to show, and that is his anger, his displeasure. But in Jesus, God brought someone who fully sympathizes with our condition. I think of the little woman with the issue of blood, hemorrhaging for 18 years, and could find no doctor to cure The embarrassment of her condition, uh, be unclean, not allowed at the temple. Who would you want to tell that you've got an internal hemorrhage going on in your body? Surely no woman wants any man to know that. But all she had to do was touch the Savior's garment and was immediately healed. Lepers found a sympathetic ear in him. He didn't say, be cursed, unclean, unclean. He would touch them, and they would be healed. You see, the Greeks, they had no idea of a sympathetic God. None. There was none in Greek philosophy. Uh, let me give you a little rundown. I've shared it before, uh, where uh, the Greeks, the ideal God, was known to be uh, Apathea was the word I want to use. It was the God of the Stoics. And we know the phrase Stoicism means a stiff upper lip. Because they taught that the gods uh, cannot be manipulated by human emotion. If a god can be affected with emotion or feeling, uh, he's being manipulated. It's weak. So The Stoics taught themselves and their philosophy and their view of God was he's an unfeeling God, apathia, the negative pathia, pathos. He has no feeling, no emotion. This is the ideal God. He does not feel. And so that's what they propagated. Of course, the Jewish God by this time had become the different God out there. Does he really care? And I love the Exodus story. He comes down to redeem the people. He told Moses, I'm coming down to rescue my people. But it's easy to keep him way up there, indifferent to us. And then you had among the uh, uh, gods of the Greeks, Epicureanism, which was eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. That was the summary. But they had a view of God that said their God was so high up that they said he was actually in between the space, if you can imagine this, the space between earth and heaven that their God dwelt in there. They called it intermundia, intermundia. The spaces in between, that's where their God was. Unreachable, untouchable. He, he can't be bothered by earthly Existence out of touch, out of contact, cannot possibly feel. And then we come to Jesus, and the writer says, by the way, we have one in the heavens who says, you've never been tempted in any area of life that I have not been tempted a hundred times over. You've never been so poor as I've been. You've never been so hated as I've been hated. By the way, singles, I gave up marriage and I gave up family. I gave up, I had no family hardly. I had a couple of half brothers. I had Mary. Joseph is off the scene quick. But I'm called an illegitimate child by my critics. I'm called the son of the devil. Poverty, hate, rejection, no real estate, no resources. No advantage. Hated by the religious community. Hated by the political community. Not known in my own neighborhood. My own brothers don't believe in me. Uh, you've never had a temptation. you never had one. But what he had it, but much greater. You see, this is the way you and I are. Let's take a temptation. Uh, let's say that's a one-ton temptation. This is one ounce. What we normally do, we cave in on one ounce. There's so much relief when you just go ahead and do it. Isn't there? Well, you know, I'm tempted to lie. Well, what did you do? I lied. It felt wonderful at the moment. I think I escaped. Then, if you're a Christian, the guilt, the remorse. Why do people yield to temptation? I think primarily. As a way of escape, whatever the pressure is. Lust, hate, whatever. Uh, just, I'm tired of holding out. I, I can't hold out. It's seducing. It's appealing. Uh, it looks good. I, uh, the devil made me do it. And you do it, it's relief at first. And there's no one in the human family that has not yielded. We've all yielded over and over and over. Have you ever confessed any certain sin more than three times? You would say, I'll be smarter the next time. Because I've paid enough in uh, sorrow, uh, regret before the Lord, the work of the Spirit. I, it grieved me to do it. Well, why do you do it again, dummy? Why again? I'm temptable, I'm weak. I said, come, and the devil doesn't have to use any new tricks on me. The old ones keep working. And you come to Jesus, or can you imagine coming to God? Well, God, you understand. (laughs) He said, yeah, I do. You're a rebel. You're disobedient. You're this. You're that. And yet I have a middle man who does not endorse my sin, but said, I'll give you mercy in the midst of your temptation." For I've suffered what you suffered. I've been tempted. I never yielded. But see, when you don't yield to something, it intensifies. Jesus went 40 days without food and water, and then he's tempted where? For food and water. Intense vulnerability. So in every point of our humanity, every area, I think sexuality, Food, obedience to the will of God, relationships, people. In any area of testing, the human family goes. He says, I've been there. I know what it's like. I just never yielded, but I know how intense the desire becomes. And what does he say? I represent you. I understand thoroughly the human weakness and frailty. Notice what he says there. He He's able to sympathize with our strengths.
1: And that will conclude our time today here on Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. As we close out our broadcast, we would invite you to join us for worship. Here at Valley Bible Church, and we would also invite you to stop by our website and take advantage of added resource materials we've made available through this ministry. You see, as we come to you on a daily basis, it's our hope and desire that you grow in Christ, that you find yourself sustained by his grace through the teaching and preaching of his word.